As you look at your worship folder this morning, you may have been concerned. The scripture says that I'm going to read Jude 1 to 4, and I am going to read Jude 1 to 4. Now, don't panic, because Jude only has 25 verses. Those of you who really know your Bible know that Jude is just one chapter. It's that tiny little letter that's sandwiched in uh, right before uh, Revelation. So we look at the first four verses this morning of uh, this important part of God's Word. And this sermon today is the first of a two-part series of sermons from Jude that uh, I am preparing for us. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Take note of the transition there. He began to write with one purpose in mind, but was convicted that there needed to be another subject addressed. And so he he made the shift. Here again, what he said, Beloved, I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, but I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. In 1855, Caroline Sendelberg wrote a poem that was a beautiful piece of writing, but it just didn't seem to carry itself or sustain itself. And so, a few years later, her poem that is entitled, Children of the Heavenly Father, yes, the the hymn that we use several times a year here was set to a very beautiful Swedish melody. And that melody has lifted that poetry to new heights of of grandeur. It has made that writing of Caroline Sendelberg just soar beautifully. You will, many of you will recall the hymn tune as I share with you just two stanzas that are very supportive of the salutation and introduction of the letter of Jude. God his own doth tend and nourish. In his holy courts they flourish. From all evil things he spares them. 
in his mighty arms. He bears them. Though he giveth or he taketh God, his children ne'er forsaketh. His the loving purpose solely to preserve them pure and holy. Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. He did not believe in Jesus when Jesus was teaching and preaching upon the earth, nor did any of the other half-brothers of Jesus. The Gospels tell us that very clearly. It wasn't until after the resurrection that uh, his half-brothers came to believe that he really was who he said And they followed him faithfully. And Jude became a great proclaimer after resurrection morning of Jesus as Messiah, as Jesus, as Savior and Lord of the world. And so he sets down in this one short letter, in just 25 verses, Jude sets down his passion for Christians to persevere against the pressures and temptations and crises that could cause them to miss the the power of the preservation of God's grace. The power of the preservation of God's grace. Now God exercises his power on behalf of Christians to keep us as his own, regardless of circumstance or situation, God wants you and me to be faithfully his so that there is nothing that can separate us from our loyalty and our love of him. And he wants that relationship until the coming glory of Jesus Christ. In fact, he wrote about that in the 21st verse of this letter. He said, keep yourselves in the love of God Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously. That is, waiting not with worry, but waiting expectantly, looking forward to, looking, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. You have long known that the simple definition of grace is God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. And that grace covers your life. It covers every aspect of who you are as a woman, as a man. It covers you now when you're seated in these pews. It covers you when you cross the threshold and and leave this sacred place and move into the activity and responsibilities of of the world out there. Jude wanted Christians to enjoy their relationship to Jesus Christ. He wanted them to experience what was beautifully set to music and you raised your voices together in proclaiming his name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He wanted that fulfillment, that sense of overarching joy to be in the minds and the hearts of every believer. Now, for the people to whom Jude wrote, many days were like our days. They were mundane, nothing exciting, 
nothing to jump up and down and click your heels about. Very ordinary happenings, usual responsibility, customary duties. There was a lot of routine that filled everyone's days, then and now. But Jude wanted them to understand that regardless of the mundane or the magnificent, God's sustaining grace, his preserving grace, his keeping grace was with them to bless them. Oswald Chambers, in his classic devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, has written about this grace, I think, in a just absolutely beautiful way. Uh, Those of you that uh, still use that book, we gave it to our congregation uh, some years ago. Uh, You'll find this uh, quote that I'm using today on the devotional dated October 21. The supernatural grace of God is required to live 24 hours of every day as a saint. Now, the Bible refers to believers as saints. So, uh, Chambers is not going out on a limb here. He is not exaggerating. The Christian community, the believers, the women and men who were in Christ are referenced in Scripture as saints. So, he says the supernatural grace of God is required to live 24 hours a day as a saint, going through drudgery and living an ordinary unnoticed and ignored existence as a disciple of Jesus. It is ingrained in us that we have to do exceptional things for God, but we do not. We have to be exceptional in the ordinary things of life. Did you ever think of that? Let Chambers grab you there, arrest your thought. We have to be exceptional in the ordinary things of life and holy on the ordinary streets. Amazing ordinary people. <laughs> then he concludes, and this is not learned in five minutes. Jude was concerned with the Christian community about what they were supporting and who they were approving. And that is the concern that lies behind this sermon series. Who are you supporting? And who are you approving? as Christian men and women today. With only 25 verses, Jude urged Christians for all time to contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith. He said in order to do that, you must know the Scriptures You must know the word of God. And you should not accept what is espoused as the Bible. 
you need to know that word so that you know that it is being presented to you accuracy, accurately because the Bible is not open to interpretation. It is God's word. It is fixed. God has not changed his mind. And the word of God stands certain and sure. So in verse 3 are these words, Beloved, I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. I wanted to celebrate with you the real joys of life in Christ. But as I took quill in hand and set it to parchment, he was moved. I felt the necessity. God brought upon me the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. God's word is a fixed word. God's word does not change. The Bible is clear. It says, I am the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Douglas Moo, in his application Bible commentary, has written, our beliefs are based on the teaching and work of Christ, developed and passed on by the apostles, and that is non-negotiable. To be a Christian is to agree with these beliefs. To reject them is to cease to be a Christian. Now, some of you here this morning are not United Methodists. But this sermon will apply to you because if you're part of a denomination, your denomination is struggling with the very same thing the United Methodists are struggling with. Today in the United Methodist Church, there are bishops and pastors that assert that some parts of the Bible never were truly God's word. Now, that is not about interpretation. That statement is about the inspiration of Scripture, who it is from and who was intended to be the recipient of God's Word. John Wesley, the founder of the former Methodist Church, our predecessor denomination, we were part of the Evangelical United Brethren Church, the other church in the union that formed the United Methodist Church. <clears throat> Wesley and, and the founders of the, United, of the Evangelical United Brethren Church were, <clears throat> were very, very similar. They walked a parallel course. And Wesley said this, every part of Scripture, every part of Scripture is worthy of God. And altogether are one entire body wherein is no defect, no excess. <clears throat> Many people in our denomination 
and in other mainline denominations have been led astray by clergy and lay who have cheapened grace by accepting and condoning cultural movements and teaching that God's grace is so great that you can live however you want to live with no penalty. If any one of you ascribe to that, accept that, you have just eliminated Jesus Christ. There is no need for a Savior. Is that really, really what you believe? It's time to think, people. It's time to become aware of what's going on in major Christian leadership today. Constantly, United Methodists are told we have been wrong about what we consider sin and that we misunderstand the Bible. Church leaders, both clergy and lay, are trying to read societal mores into the Bible rather than let the Bible determine our mores. Now, I want to be very clear as I tried to be in our first worship service this morning. I am not pigeonholing any group of people. And I am not condemning any group of people. But neither am I condoning certain lifestyles. You need to know, I have friends who were in prison. I have people who love me and I love them, and they're homosexuals. I have gone in to all kinds of situations and circumstances across the decades of my ministry. And I have dealt with, with all sorts of addiction, alcohol and, and drug and, and sexual and pornographic. I've really walked through filth. And every person that I've walked through, with that dirt, with. I love them. But we need to look at what the Bible says. And where the Bible says that we have messed up our lives by some of the decisions that we have made about things that we are going to do and what we're going to become, the church needs to bring to bear against those decisions, the true word of God. We are surrounded, my dear friends, by a culture that encourages people to discover a value system that will endorse the kind of behavior they have chosen. 
whatever the sin, people will try to justify it. If there's one thing I have experienced and learned over the years of my ministry, it's that we will do our very best to justify the sins that we have committed. And we will try our best to have the Bible condone and approve what we have done. There is an increasing number of people who just think Jesus is somehow significant to a spiritual journey. Jesus is somehow significant to a spiritual journey, but they do not believe him to be equal with God. The Bible is clear. Jesus said, the Father and I are one. They are equal in every way. There is a judgment seat before which each of us will appear. And before that judgment seat, it will indeed matter whether you believe the word of God or did not. Crying out from this little letter of Jude is his plea for Christians to get excited about the truth of the word of God and to make it a practical truth. Truth and practice are inseparable for Christian living and for having churches that are passionate in maintaining and defending that truth. I'm very concerned about where our United Methodist Church is going. You need to be aware that the council and bishops of our church has gone against the commission on the way forward and has insisted that the special session of General Conference scheduled to meet in St. Louis in February review again the very thing that our last General Conference voted down. And that is that uh, we, we change our understanding of, of sexual ethics. Now the sexual ethic question is a big one, but it's not the main question. That's how it's being manifested. That's what the devil is using. But the main question for United Methodists is are we going to be a scriptural people? Are we going to be a Bible church? Or are we going to pick and choose what we want? And the tendency, the movement right now is that we are going to be allowed to pick and choose what we want. And we're going to say, well, this is God's word, but this isn't God's word. Uh, I am going to be providing you with as 
much information as we can in coming weeks about what is happening in our United Methodist Church. It's a very, very serious issue. And I hope that you are folks whose allegiance is to Jesus Christ, not to a denomination. I chose to be a United Methodist pastor because uh, this is the church of my heritage, of my origin. My first calling, and yours too, is to be a Christian. To come to new life in God's Savior Son, Jesus Christ. Then I had a second calling, and that was to be a pastor. And I answered that. But that's where it begins and ends. My loyalty is to God Almighty. It is not to a denomination. It grieves me to be at this point in my life and ministerial career and have this issue in our church. For over 50 years, I have preached Christ as Lord and exalted his word as the final authority in faith and in, in practice. And I would have never thought that as I come to the end of my career, I would be forced to make a decision about whether I was going to stay in the United Methodist Church or not. Now, if I'm repeating this statement, it's because I'm old, but uh, I can retire any time. God just hasn't told me to do that yet. But if the United Methodist Church decides to go against the Word of God, I'm leaving the church. I will not stay in a denomination that does something like that. And you need to know that. And David will go with me. And we are not, we are not going to try to get anyone to follow our actions. You must know what God is telling you to do. But we are going to stand on God's word as the sure and certain word. And I'm saying that to you today. And uh, I want you to be aware of that. Make sure you understand, as I said at the beginning of this message, who you support and what you are approving. That's what the message of Jude is about. And we will be looking very carefully and studying and helping you to understand uh, without prejudice what the issue is. And then you'll have to make your decision. But we will be flooding you with information because we want you to know what is happening uh, in this once great church. It hurts like everything to say that. But my allegiance is not to a denomination it's to God Almighty.
in the current uh, edition of Good News Magazine, which is prepared by the, the scripturally sound evangelical base of the United Methodist Church uh, and supported by the Wesleyan Covenant group, which as I told you I'm a part of and, and all of the thousands of faithful United Methodists who are holding to the Word of God. In that current edition of Good News Magazine, B.J. Funk, who is a guest editorialist, wrote an article that is entitled The Delightful Odor of Grace. And uh, as I came to the end of that editorial, I was just uh, called to attention by a statement that she had made. And I want to I finish there uh, this morning, and then I'll, I'll take you deeper into this subject next week. Uh, if you're not going to be able to be here next Lord's Day, remember that all of our sermons are archived and are available for your listening uh, online. So B.J. Funk wrote this. Go into all the world. Go into all the world. And make them homesick for what you have found in Christ. Be real as you hand them the wonderful, delightful odor of grace. Let's pray. Oh God, your grace has preserved many of us and brought us safe thus far, <clears throat> and it will lead us home. Implant within us your true word as power principles by which we live to glorify you and to receive your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.